May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord God. Amen. Three and a half years ago, uh, one evening in April 2015, I stood somewhere over there, I think, between Jane Myhill and Helen Prettyjohn, while we joined in with the worship at the ADCM, the annual district church meeting, and my spirit and my heart began to ache at the sudden realisation that I was very soon to be leaving this church, to be ordained and to be a curate somewhere else, that I would not be journeying with this particular community of God's people any further. And while St Alfred C. Salter and its people would always occupy a treasured place in my heart, I would not be coming back. All I can say is that Jane and Helen's tissue supplying ministry was particularly on point that evening. (laughs) So three and a half years later, I don't have the words really to fully express how delighted I am, how amazed and how thankful to God that I get to be here and be your vicar. It was utterly unexpected and it still takes my breath away. But if I were in your shoes now, I'd be wondering what's on the mind and heart of the vicar on the block, the new vicar on the block. Well, (laughs) firstly, it's my immense gratitude to Steve and all that God built here during his ministry and, of course, through Vicky as well. The Apostle Paul in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, talks of us as servants who plant and water, doesn't it? But it's God, it's always God who brings the growth and the fruit. And together, we will build on the foundation of Steve's work and ministry. But ultimately, all of us build on Christ. And we know that that was the principle that was always at the very heart of Steve's work. Secondly, it's my gratitude to Fabian and to all of you who had to step up, step forward, hang in there, and generally hold your nerve during a vacancy. For a busy church like this, used to getting stuff done, that's really hard work, isn't it? And I'd especially like to thank the church wardens, Linda and Ali, and the DCC and the staff team for all that they've done. I know it's been mainly good, but sometimes quite challenging. And those of you who have prayed, prayed and kept praying that St. Alfred Seasalter would keep close to God in the vacancy and in the times to God, thank you, times to come, thank you for your faithfulness in that. Keep doing it. So what's on my heart for Seasalter going forward? Well, I'm mindful of where we find ourselves to be now. A new start always creates a good opportunity to take stock, to remind ourselves what we're here for, and then to move forward from that with a renewed sense of purpose, a strong foundation for the things that we do. But in a nutshell, what's on my heart for Seasalter is what's at the heart of the gospel reading this morning, the greatest commandment. Jesus is asked of all the commandments, and the questioner here is a teacher of the law. So he's a scribe, he's a Torah expert. He's reflecting on the whole of the Jewish law, not just the Ten Commandments that Moses came down the mountain with. And so he's saying, of all those instructions, Jesus, of all we have in Jewish law for living rightly according to the will of God, what's the priority? What's the most important And in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus replies to him with these words, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. 
There is no other commandment greater than these. Can we find what it is as individuals and as a church community to live this out as fully and as deeply and as gloriously as we possibly can? Can we and will we choose as church to make this our life project together? Because loving like this will take all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. It's absolutely not an easy path. In fact, our true colours show more clearly to others, don't they, when we are in the times when we are hit by crises than they do when we are comfortable. Will we still then choose to uphold these things in those times as well? All the churchy rituals and activities we do, all the moral codes, family codes, rules we choose to live by, only one thing matters. Love God and love one another, in here and out there. And we could, and in fact should, stop there. Just spend our whole living, breathing every moment just there, loving God and loving others with all we've got, and we would find ourselves doing all that God ever requires of us. And it would change the world. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says this, Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Because loving like this is what makes us different in the world. Risking connection. Stepping forward when others shrink back. Welcoming. Loving and giving without any expectation of return. Being unafraid to speak about the difference faith makes in our lives in Jesus. Not Bible bashing, but telling and living out our own story in a culture that's crying out and craving the things that Jesus offers. Freedom, forgiveness, release from captivity, healing from brokenness, hope for the future. Did any of you see the recent BBC Two documentary called The Debt Saviors about CAP, Christians Against Poverty? Can you put your hand up if you saw that? There's a few of us that did. You know that Christians Against Poverty is one of the charities that we support here at St. Alphish Sea Salter. It does incredible work. It comes alongside those people whose lives are breaking apart because of debt and the myriad associated problems that go with that. And it offers a way out. What they do is they lift the fear and worry by standing in the gap between the people who have the debt and who are suffering and the financial organisations and they renegotiate payment and they give personal support and they come up with a payment plan and they stand by that person as they budget and they gradually pay off their renegotiated debt. And the other thing they do is they give them the opportunity to connect with a local church community. So to help them out of that isolation that they're so often in and into that network of love and support. Now in the documentary, I assume it was the producer whose voice you could kind of hear in the background um, occasionally interviewing the founder, John Kirkby. And you heard him off camera and it was a sticking point to him that Jesus had to come into the equation because he kept saying, well, why did Cap insist on offering to pray with people and connecting them with church? Why couldn't they just offer the debt advice instead of bringing Jesus into it? And in the program, you see the founder of Cap um, reading the bit of scripture that Jesus opened and read before the astonished people in the synagogue, his kingdom manifesto, as it's often called. It was read out on Wednesday night, actually, at the licensing It was a charge to me as your priest 
and to all of us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoner. And that's why Christians Against Poverty and we have to bring Jesus into it because Jesus is the essential component of the whole thing. It is Jesus that makes the difference between poverty and hope, between despair and a future, between captivity and freedom, between brokenness and healing. And this is why we can be unashamed of the gospel of Christ because what God has given us so freely is too precious and important to be under private ownership. There's far too much goodness and love and grace pouring out from God anyway to keep it all for ourselves. And there's too much need in our community and in our world to try and hold it back. And in the TV documentary, what spoke louder than any editorial agenda and louder than the words of the founder as he was interviewed were the stories of those clients of CAP, of hope breaking in, of community and support of new friends and a future and in several cases of newfound faith. Faces changed from anxious and drawn and isolated to open and laughing and smiling. Heads were literally lifted. People found to their surprise and their delight that they had worth in the eyes of others and in the eyes of God. Our stories of God's work in our lives are powerful too. We need to be able to share them. So how can I help? What can I promise you I will bring to all of this as your vicar? Well, I'll bring my ideas, my experience, my training, and my deep desire for people to know Jesus for themselves. I'll bring my passion to see Christians grow and be released into the fullest possible kind of life and to discover whatever it is that they're uniquely crafted by God to do that brings joy to them and to God and to others. But in all that, I recognise that one of the biggest dangers in the way that we are to one another is that we end up offering one another a version of ourselves. I'm not the Paulette I was three and a half years ago, although there are quite a few similarities. (laughs) But you're not the St. Alphage Sea Salter that you were three and a half years ago either. But in following on from a minister like Steve (laughs) and stepping up into a new and challenging role from being a curate to being a vicar, I have to say there's a strong temptation to try and be something that I'm not. So I need to tell you that what I also bring is this. I bring my imperfect love for Jesus and my desire to love him more. I bring my flaws and vulnerabilities and certain knowledge that from time to time I will let you and I will let Jesus down. I bring my promise that I will try to love you and build you up in the way that Jesus loves us and builds us up and the knowledge that I will fall short of that too. In other words, I want to bring you my own real discipleship which is rough around the edges. Sometimes it's flying with the spirit. Sometimes it's full of joy and expectation. Sometimes it's plodding along in everyday ordinariness. And sometimes, frankly, it's a right old mess. (laughs) I want to bring my own determination 
to follow Christ as faithfully as I can through the ups and downs of life and to come alongside with you as we journey together in that kind of real discipleship where we do our best to follow Jesus, not as versions of ourselves, not the people we think we should be, but actually as who we really are and let God transform us along the way. I want us to really learn what it is to be teachers and encouragers of one another, to be real and vulnerable with one another. Jesus did that. He wept, he laughed, he cried with his disciples. Because if we're real and vulnerable with each other and to God in this way, it opens us up to the point where God can look at us and say, ah, I have room to work in that. Can we recognize and celebrate the fact that every single person here, regardless of their age or where they are in their Christian journey, can be alongside someone else, encouraging them and working for their thriving and growth? I will want us as church, as I know you do, to keep prayer at the heart and to make worship our heartbeat because we don't do any of this in our own strength, but by God's spirit. And this is all for God's glory, not for ours. And together we will work out what it is God has for us to do next. How we will keep turning all of this love outwards in service, in our communities, in our homes, in our schools and in our places of work. We've always discerned this kind of thing together as a community, prayerfully and carefully, haven't we? And that won't change. So there are no doubt one or two really pressing tasks to work on, but it's the 4th of November already. Christmas is speeding towards us like an express train. (laughs) So let's look forward to that together. Let's celebrate it well together. And then I'm going to be doing, and I need props for this. Poor child was going to find my bag and run off with it before I was ready. I'm going to be doing an awful lot of this. (laughs) Find the lectern. (laughs) I've got to do a lot of really careful looking and listening over the next few months. (laughs) And and that's really, really important. Um, I've got to find out how things are. I've got to listen. I've got to meet with people, talk with you, see what's already going on. And watch and pray, because I won't be serving you or God well if I make assumptions about what God is up to or what the priorities might be. I don't want to make hasty decisions. We know we're called to be church in challenging times. We're under more financial pressure than we've ever been, and we will continue to have difficult decisions to make from time to time. And we live in uncertain times politically, don't we? Under the shadow of austerity and Brexit and with some scary rhetoric from powerful international leaders. And amongst Christians, there are the well-rehearsed and hotly debated issues of our day dividing God's people. More than ever, I think, we need to grab with both hands what is at our core. To love God with all our heart, our soul, our mind and strength and to love our neighbour as ourself. To continue to prize that ability which we have here to sit around the table and fellowship together and come together in prayer and worship, even in our very differences. Because this is what will keep us out of the place of fear and of the but-what-ifs that can push us into isolation and into retreat from one another and from those who desperately need it but don't yet know how much good news Jesus is. This is what will help us partner with Christ in transforming lives. So I want to finish with the words from the Bishop's Blessing on Wednesday evening. 
May the boldness of the Spirit transform us. May the gentleness of the Spirit lead us. May the gifts of the Spirit equip us to serve and worship God. And the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be among us and remain with us always. Amen.